Well, guys, so good to be with you guys this morning. Um, the, uh, the, the topic I get to speak on today is conviction, and the fact that you're here pretty much tells me that we're good to go, right? Because, I mean, anybody that's willing to get up at the crack of before sunshine is, is fairly, has a, a fairly decent level of conviction. So I know this morning because I was out early, and, and it was hard. So glad that you guys are here. Um, this morning, uh, before I came here, I... I ran my wife over to the airport because uh, she was flying out to Texas to go and see one of her dear friends. And um, just driving over to the airport at five in the morning, reflecting on uh, her shooting over and, and just realizing what a crazy thing it is that I can drop her off in Orlando. And by the time we're done here, she will be in Texas uh, because she's going to get on one of these things called an airplane and it's going to fly through the sky and land and it's going to be a giant hunk of metal going up and going down. And there is an absolute assumption uh, that she's going to get on that plane and that it's going to go up and it's going to go down and it's going to land because that's what planes do every day thousands and thousands and thousands of times over and over again. And it's kind of cool now because the airplanes um, that fly today that are commercial um, are essentially computerized boxes uh, that do everything themselves and then somebody sits in the cockpit um, to kind of be there, present, uh, to make us all feel safe, right? It's not quite as bad. My, my brother-in-law is a pilot, um, and it's fascinating talking to him about what it's like flying. In fact, the conversation ensued at one point about what happens in the cockpit, because I don't know if you guys have ever noticed, but sometimes the landing of a plane is just perfect. You know, you just, you come down, and you sort of don't even realize the thing is on the ground. Somehow they took this giant, weighty machine and they just quietly touched it down on the runway. And then other times, you know, the plane's doing this, and it comes down, and one wheel hits first, and then the other wheel, and it bounces and goes nuts, and, and it's still fine. And so I asked my brother-in-law, out of curiosity, generally, what's the difference between the pilots that land the plane really, really well and the ones that don't? And he said, the computer. When the computer lands it, it's perfect. But when one of us lands it, it doesn't go quite as well. But we get really bored, so we turn the computer off and land it ourselves a lot of times. And so whenever it's rough, it's generally the pilot. And whenever it's smooth, it's generally the computer. And, and then that led to a conversation about flying, because he said, you know, because the, the plane does everything, uh, really for the most part, uh, the, the, the exercise of being a pilot um, is a fairly mundane reality when the actual flying takes place. Where it's exciting is in the simulators during the week and all your training because pilots have to continually do training constantly outside of their flying. So they have a rhythm of training. Um, and, and, and here's why. You guys know the story of Sully, right? Um, the guy that landed the, the plane uh, in the Hudson um, and the amazing events that took place there. You see, th this is what happens in the flying as a pilot. Uh, for the most part, it's a fairly mundane exercise. The plane takes off, the plane lands, the plane takes off, the plane lands, and you sit there. But you as the pilot, the reason you get paid the big bucks and sit in front of that plane is that at some point something's going to happen that is going to come at you suddenly, and you are going to have to make a thousand decisions in a second, and they all have to be the right ones. Otherwise, everybody dies. That's pretty much it. And so you might go your whole life as a pilot and never have to do that. But when you do and if you do, the difference between being ready to make all those right decisions and not being ready is the difference between life and death for everybody on the plane. That's why the pilot sits there. So that when it goes wrong, somebody other than a computer 
can put that plane on the ground because a computer is not going to make the decision to land it in the Hudson. And we saw that happen in that story. I find life to be exactly the same way, quite honestly. Um, maybe a little bit more uh, interesting than flying from one place to another, but life, for the most part, uh, gets a rhythm and doesn't change super often. So most of you guys, like me, uh, if once you get into a major transition in life and you settle in, then there is a rhythm that develops. You wake up in the morning, you have your family dynamics if you're married, you have your roommate dynamics if you're not, uh, or your, your, your routine in the morning if you live by yourself, and then off you go to some kind of vocational space most often, and then you go through a sequence of events there, and then you come home and there are decisions made in between, and then you do your rhythm and then you go to bed, and you do it over again. And, and within that day, there's lots of little things that happen, and you generally have some kind of a movement towards something, but for the most part, things flow in a rhythm, and it's not super unexpected. But then, in any one of those given days, or on any one of those given uh, areas, like a, a week or a month, something will come at you. Sometimes it's small things. You get into the office, uh, you get the phone call, hey, can you shoot into the boardroom? You come in, and there's been a slight change in the deal that you're working on, and you need, they need a decision, and they need it now. And you are there, and it has to happen, and you didn't have the time to go back and process it all, and pray through it, and think through it, and all that. Or uh, you walk in, and a coworker uh, does something, says something, um, behaves in some way that causes conflict of some kind with you. Th that will happen. Or you wake up in the morning and one of your kids goes ballistic and has a meltdown because they're stressed about an exam in a week from now um, and they're expressing it to you this morning but they don't bother telling you, don't worry, it's just stress from a week. They just go ballistic and, and that happens in front of you. Sometimes your wife says something, does something, doesn't say something, doesn't do something that deeply affects you in a moment. That happens on a regular basis. And then also sometimes, sometimes, giant things happen. You walk into the office, you called in, and they go, listen, things haven't been going well at the company and we're going to have to let you go, right? Giant moment. Or you walk in and you have a conversation with your wife and bigger things are going on than you ever imagined, and, and it's a giant moment for you. Uh, or you are, uh, you find yourself in spaces where temptations come your way and they're giant decisions. That stuff never comes at us uh, in the quiet spaces of our process and our, and our readiness that just come. Life comes very fast when it does. Mundane most of the time, in terms of its it's, it's process, and then suddenly these giant things come. And, and here's the thing. If we're not ready for those moments, if we're not ready, then we die. Maybe not physically die, but then we produce, uh, in that moment, death. We react wrongly, we make wrong decisions, we do things outside of what is life, and we enter into affecting death. And so the question that I have often uh, processed is how on earth, like a pilot, uh, do I make sure that though my actual life, the actual flying, is fairly predictable in, in, in for the most part, how do I make sure that in that predictable nature I'm not just living life? In other words, I'm not just flying planes and forgetting all the training I did once long ago, which I think is the truth for most of us is 
there's some spiritual sp space in us where we, we kind of start getting really into things and then life comes along and suddenly one year, five years, 10 years, 20 years goes by and you go, I attend church is what I do. But as far as real vibrant spiritual engagement where I am growing, maturing, learning, being poured into by the truths of God, that kind of fades into a side note. And so we become the pilots that fly every day and we forget that the wing might fall off. We forget that the birds might hit the engines. We forget that the computer might shut down in midair because we have gotten so used to it just taking off and landing, taking off and landing, that we forget why we're even sitting in the seat. How on earth do we remember that we are, f we are flying a life that matters and there are people around us that matter and we have been given the responsibility to be someone directing this thing in a way that matters and that keeps alive the things around us. And that is where this little word comes in, the word conviction. Conviction. I will tell you, I said to David this morning, every topic on this list that you guys will deal with, if you have no conviction, none of them matter. Honestly, none of them matter. Uh, because all of them will be a brochure. You'll do them because they are of benefit to you. Does it benefit you to have some integrity? Absolutely, it benefits you in the business environment, in your home environment. But as soon as you don't need integrity to benefit you, you won't do it anymore if you have no conviction. I mean, I can pick any topic on here without conviction, you won't do it. So what is conviction? I, I, you know, I, I always look words up because we talk about words as though we know exactly what they mean, but oftentimes we just don't. So here's conviction. You ready? This is dictionary definition of the word conviction. A fixed or firm belief. A fixed or firm belief. I love the subcategory. Uh, no clever argument, no persuasive fact or theory could make a dent in his conviction of belief. Isn't that beautiful? No, no fact, no theory, no argument could make a dent in his belief. That is what conviction means, a fixed or firm belief. So to have conviction is to have a fixed or firm belief that cannot be moved by the observable realities around you, the circumstances, the arguments, the, the things that will come your way. And there will be many that will shape us and cause us to think about things. And if we don't have a fixed or firm belief into which we are traveling into every circumstance, then when something goes wrong, we are going to start throwing ideas at the table and panicking and making stupid decisions. What caused that pilot to land that plane was because when things started going wrong, he followed a sequence of training and went back and systematically worked through the thing and he knew exactly what to do. And then he could make decisions about the unpredictable things based on the predictable things he knew, believed, and held to. He understood how things worked on that airplane and so he could do things with it. The trouble with conviction that I found is that when you go into that life that you all live and the life I live, every day there are a thousand different things that could happen. And so in order to know exactly what to do with every single thing, you have to have a giant amount of information in your head. So my recommendation today is that in the next week or two, you memorize all of the Bible. And then when you have that done, then you'll be fine because you'll know exactly what to do because it will recall to you moment by moment. Now, I mean, we, I say that and you're like, okay, well, 
I'm, I'm out because I can't even memorize a verse a year, let alone the Bible in a week, right? And, and so that's having a thousand pieces of information isn't going to work. And so for me, it became, okay, if I'm going to have a fixed or firm belief that is unmovable, the question is, what is that fixed or firm belief going to be when it is distilled down at its very core level that will be one that will not only be true, but also be one that I can bring to any circumstance, bring to any scenario, and have it be a starting point for me to say, I'm going to stay on this fixed or firm belief, and from here, I'm going to launch into the thousands of problem-solving moments to go and seek out what buttons I push next. And so uh, I started thinking about that. There's a video that came out a number of years ago, a TED Talk by a, a guy named Simon Senex. If you've never seen this, you ought to go and watch it if you're in any kind of vocation. Um, I forget the exact title, but if you type in Simon Senex, Senex with a K, and you type in why, what, how, it'll pop up. So it's a video about the idea that most people start with the how, then they talk about the what, and then they end with the why, but you ought to flip it around and say, Ultimately, what matters is why do you do what you do, and then what are you going to be doing because you do it for that reason, and then how on earth are you going to do the what that you're doing? It's a cool video. So I started looking at that from a, from a life perspective and said to myself, okay, if I'm going to hold to a conviction, a, a firm and fixed belief, what is that firm and fixed belief going to start with? And so I asked myself the question, why is it that I am in this life doing this life? If you have even the slightest understanding of scripture, you quickly pick up that the entire Bible, Genesis to Revelation, is about the great redemptive story of God, the, the great work of God in our human story to redeem us from a disaster that took place early in our story. The disaster that took place was that we were created by God in Adam and Eve to know him fully, all of his freedom and wonder, and to make him known fully in all that we do. This was our literal created purpose. And so every relational dynamic, every circumstantial dynamic, every resource reality that we had was all about that. The relationship between man and woman was for the sake of making God known in you the uniqueness of that relationship. The relationship mankind had with creation was for that purpose. The relationship mankind had with God was for that purpose. The relationship that creation had in all of its working was to make God known to us. And so all of it was about making God known. And the resources that we had available to us were given to us by God for our enjoyment so that we might know God and for our use to make God known. In the early parts of Genesis, as most of you know, Adam and Eve decided that they would pursue their own destiny and their own divinity when the enemy of God said, if you eat of the fruit he forbids you to eat of, you know that you'll know what he knows and therefore you will be like him and you don't, have to, you don't, you don't need him. So we did. And the disaster of that was that it, it essentially, what Romans would say, is it affected futility into all of creation. Do you know what the word futility is? Futility is doing something without any chance of any outcome that's worthwhile. In other words, this exercise is futile. I can keep doing it, but it's going to go nowhere. It is a complete futility. And essentially, Solomon will write later on in the book of Ecclesiastes and say, life is futile now or meaningless. This is the mundane reality of life we live outside of recognizing the redemptive story of God. But when we recognize the redemptive story of God, here's what we recognize. Here's the simplicity. Conviction number one 
why I do what I do. You ready? Here it is. The giant why. I am the recipient of the redemption of Jesus Christ. I am the recipient of God's rescue. I am the recipient of God's grace. I am the recipient of God's mercy. And I have been redeemed. I, my soul is rescued. My future redeemed. Boom. There it is. First thing. Now I know that about myself. But here's the cool part. All of scripture says not only am I a recipient of God's grace and the redemptive work of God, but I am a participant in God's grace and a participant in the redemptive work of God. And folks, I want you to hear me on this. The first conviction that has been shaping my life for quite a while now is this, that my entire life, every relationship, every resource available to me, every circumstance that I encounter is ultimately for the same purpose, that I might be redemptive on behalf of God because I'm a participant in his redemptive story. He will do it without me, but I get to participate. So my marriage, how I handle that thing called a marriage and how I handle that person called a wife, regardless of what she is or is not doing for me, is a part of my participation in being redemptive. How I handle my workplace, a decision in my business, fudging on something for that deal to come through, the thousands of decisions I'll make, the moments that I encounter in life, how I handle them are all coming back to a single idea. Am I participating in redemption or am I participating in affecting death? So since I'm, a, since I'm a participant in redemption, I remind myself of this all the time. The reason I exist is to know God and make him known, to continue to understand what I'm a recipient of and to continue to participate in the grace of God. That's why I do what I do. Here's what I do, all right? Because I'm a participant in the redemptive story of God and everything is available to me to participate in, here's how I participate. This is what I do. You ready? I either bring life or I bring death. And that's a conviction of mine. Today, in the next three seconds, what I say will either bring life or it will bring death. The decision I make will either be one of life or of death. In other words, I am doing it God's way, life, or I'm doing it my way, death. And that is going to be true all the time. So it's very simple for me. I'm a participant in the story of God, in the redemptive story of God. I have been invited to participate today. This is my purpose. This is why I exist whether in my relationships, in my circumstances, or in the resources I have available. And what I do with these relationships, or in these relationships, with these circumstances, or in these circumstances, with these resources, or in these resources, is I either bring life, or I bring death. James wrote about that. First book to be written in the New Testament out to the early New Testament church. And he says, look, man, what you say and what you do either brings life, or it brings death. Your call. So I go into my workplace, or I go into my home, or I go into the resource dynamics I'm challenged with, or I, or I have, and I go, all right, what's going to bring life? Do I do it well every day? Do I get it right every day? No, just like when the pilot takes the computer off, the landing isn't always that smooth. But he does get the plane on the ground, which is helpful, right? I don't always get it right, but then I come back to Thank God I am a recipient of his redemption. Because if I wasn't, then getting it wrong would cost me death. 
but now getting it wrong doesn't cost me death because he has rescued me, so I get to try again to affect life. Why I do what I do. I am the recipient of God's grace and a participant in his redemption. What I do every day, try to figure out how on earth to bring life instead of death by doing it God's way and not my way and trusting him for the outcome. The deal is on the table. Here it is. Everyone in the office is looking to you. They know that the decision is simple. You want this deal? It has tremendous financial implications to everybody, but you're going to need to fudge on that particular truth. Easy decision, isn't it? Unless your purpose is to be redemptive and you're bringing life by doing it God's way. Now it's a difficult decision. But if you have conviction, a firm and fixed belief that no argument, no fact, or no theory can shift, then it's not a hard decision. Even though everyone in the room will go, what have you just done? Right? Your wife comes. It's been erosive for a couple of years. The last time you enjoyed each other the way us guys enjoy enjoying our wives was a year ago. And the news comes and she's done. What happens next? And the way that you go with that, those moments that are so big that we don't know what to do with, if we have no conviction, then suddenly we just start pushing buttons. And we go with whatever last thing we heard. But if we have conviction, we go, okay, let's stop right here. Birds just hit the engine. We're going to start working this and we're going to start figuring out how to engage in this to participate in redemption by bringing life, right? And then the final piece, why I do what I know, what I do I know, I bring life instead of death to make God known instead of hiding him. Simple. And then the final piece, how do I do it? Ah, now that one you need to memorize the whole Bible for, <laughs> except that you're not going to do that in a week or a month. You're going to do that by engaging daily in the training of the word of God through the spirit of God. You cannot know how to bring life to multiple thousands of scenarios every day without understanding the word of God, without knowing it. And so here's what we do. We spend most of our time doing life and very little doing training. And someday when the birds hit the engine, you are going to crash the plane. I am going to crash the plane unless we have been in that simulator day in and day out on our off time. You with me? And the simulator is the word of God. I sit with people every day, folks, every day. And they come with life scenarios, either the mess they've made of their life or the one they're about to make. And with almost without exception, it's never this. Oh my gosh, I totally know this is the dumbest decision on planet Earth and I totally know it will bring complete death and destruction to all of me, my family, my household, and the world. And I totally know that I would be an idiot to do it. Do you think I should do it? <laughs> I've never had that conversation. It's always, you know, I, I, I prayed about this, and I, I sensed the Lord saying, I should go for it. And I'm like, I'm super excited for you, except for this little thing called the Word of God that God seems to be violating. <laughs> How odd for him to be telling you something that he told the rest of humanity the opposite. <laughs> so strange. But you see, the problem is we don't know because we haven't been in this, the word of God. We haven't spent time. At best, we do a devotional every third day that's somebody else's paragraph with a verse that we don't even know is in context. Now, I'm not 
Devotions are fine, and they're good for a momentary reminder daily, but that is not engaging deeply in the Word of God. If you are not constantly in training, absorbing the truth of God's Word into your heart and mind, what the Bible will say is hide the Word of God in your heart and mind, then regardless of understanding why you do what you do and regardless of knowing what you ought to do, when you come down to the how, you're going to have no clue. And you're going to go, I know I'm supposed to save all the people on the plane, and I know I'm supposed to. And back, there was a verse a long time ago, there was a button I learned about, which was that button that turns the engines off and then turns, I think it's this red one, I hope. That's not going to go well. So, conviction. Is the firm and fixed belief that I am the recipient of the gospel of Jesus Christ, soul saved, future redeemed. I am the participant in the gospel of Jesus Christ to be redemptive on his behalf, through the Spirit of God, my purpose is restored. I am going to do that by making God known instead of hiding him, so doing it God's way instead of my way, by bringing life instead of death. And the way I'm going to know how to do that in the little minutiae of my day is by constantly finding myself back in the Word of God during my downtimes so that I am constantly in the simulator going, okay, words. I use a lot of words every day. What do I do with my words? Oh, yes, that's right. That's right. I remember now Ephesians 4. Uh, it, what does it say again? Oh, yes. Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is, which is for the building up of others according to their needs. Okay, good. I, I know that now. I can go on a thousand things. Uh, uh, something just happened today. I'm in the middle of a crazy trial. What do I do again? This is crazy. Where is God? Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that it is the testing of your faith or the refining of your faith that develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything, right? Or this one, right? Oh my goodness, here I go into my day. This is going to be a super hard day. I, I don't know what, what, what to do. If any of you lacks wisdom in a trial, come and ask God, because he gives wisdom generously, James chapter 2 right? I mean, James chapter 1, verse 4. He gives generously, but when he gives you wisdom, then make sure you believe, because those who do not believe are like a little boat tossed to and fro on the waves, right? Or, God, I have a day ahead of me. What is it you want me to do? Therefore, dear brothers, in view of God's mercy, present yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your spiritual act of worship, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind so that you will know what the will of God is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. See, on and on and on you go, and these things will come to you when you are in the middle of the moment where the birds hit the engines. But if you don't know the word of God and it's not hidden in your heart, then you won't know what to do even though, or you won't know how to do it even though you know what you're supposed to do and why you're doing it. But if you don't know why you're doing it, then even if you know how to do it, you won't do it. So I want you to hear me carefully. If you know why you're doing it and what you're supposed to do, but you don't know the word of God, you won't know how to do it. But if you know the word of God inside and out, you know exactly how to do it, but you have no conviction, a firm and fixed belief in why you do it and what you're supposed to do, then it doesn't matter that you'll know how to do it. You won't do it. Because the truth is, when the birds hit, most often what you want to do is jump out of the plane with a parachute and watch the plane go down with all the passengers.
and say sorry later. But we don't get to do that. There is one of my favorite movies is a movie uh, called Master and Commander. It's a um, Russell Crowe and it's about a ship captain. And uh, it's just a great leadership movie in general of how leadership in life works. And there's a certain point, there's this old guy. They always in these movies have the old guy that's been on the ship for 4,526 years. And, and, and you just know it. And so all the ship, they have the captain, but then they have the old guy that they look to, right? They're like, you know how this works. And he's never the captain. He's just the old guy in the bottom. And he shows up in a scene here and there, not much. But the scenes he shows up in are these moments where it's like, what do we do? What do we do? And, and I love this guy because there's this moment in, in the movie where things are just going awry. And, and he, he has these two fists. And I actually Facebooked and against, uh, not um, Googled it, but a, a bunch of people have done this now. And he has this fist and he holds his fists out like this. And the tattoo on his fists are hold on, on, one, on four knuckles here and fast on the other four knuckles. Hold fast. And, and that's kind of his scene in the entire movie. But it's the scene I remember the most, right? Stuff's going crazy and the ship's going nuts. And he holds his fists out like this and he says to all the young guys, we're going to hold fast. We're going to hold fast. This is the definition of conviction. The definition of conviction, if you want to take the word conviction off the table and make it a tattooable word that can go on your knuckles, right? And I dare one of you to go do that. It would be awesome. <laughs> Just let me know, man. I'm, I'm in. So my wife isn't in, but, but I'm in. Um, here, here's the thing, right? Here's the thing. When you walk into life in its mundane rhythms, and then in those mundane rhythms you encounter things, here's, here's the starting point. Hold fast. But you cannot, you cannot hold fast if you have no conviction. And conviction is the firm and fixed belief that no argument, no fact, no theory will be able to shift in you. And if you say, well, I think facts should shift things in me. When it comes to the gospel, there are a thousand facts on this planet that will dare you not to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ because they're observable and they're in front of you, but they are still wrong. They just seem right. So let no fact, no theory, no argument move you from your why, from your what, and from your how. And make sure in order to know how that you are daily, regularly, not reading a devotional, but studying the word of God, memorizing the word of God, hiding the word of God in your heart so that you will be able to have teeth to the things that you hold firmly to and be able to be men that in your homes, in your workplaces, in your community are men that hold fast and hold strong in the storms. And when the birds hit the plane, that we will be the ones that bring life to those that we get to passenger along the way by landing these planes in quiet waters because the God we know sits with us and goes, we're going to put this thing down because you know exactly how. You know exactly why. And you know what to do next. Welcome to conviction. Let's pray. God, we struggle in our wavering. We struggle in our wavering. Because we have emotions and 
We have desires. We have needs. We have dreams and wants. We have things that we are hopeful for. Not eternal things, but temporal things. And so in the midst of wanting to be men that are fixed and hold fast, wanting to be men that believe and act out of that belief, we recognize that the reason we waver is because with every decision that we face, there are consequences to ourselves, to our significance, to our identity, to our desires, to our hopes, to our dreams. And it is easy on this planet to encounter a circumstance or a relational dynamic or a resource challenge and to make decisions that are not so much in light of our participation in the gospel, not so much in light of bringing life in the long haul, not so much in light of the truth of your word, but more in light of what will bring immediate satisfaction and in light of what our immediate feelings desire. God, this is where our conviction wavers and we waver. So we ask you, Spirit of God, because only you can help us in our weakness, that you would rise up in us, draw us deeply into your word, so that the truth of your word and the truth of you, Spirit of God, would would bleed so deeply into our veins that we would begin to hold firm and fast without wavering to the identity in which we exist, that I am a recipient of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ and a participant in seeing the world redeemed on his behalf. That I get to bring life instead of death by making God known instead of hiding him. In every decision I make, every endeavor I find myself in, and that I will know how to do those things by all the truths I will discover in your word as you allow me to hide them in my heart through study, meditation, and memorization. That I might walk into my dailiness unafraid, whether it be a mundane day taking off from one airport and landing in another, or one where a bunch of birds hit the engine. That either way, I know that I am well-trained, ready, and I remember why I'm in that cockpit. Not for a paycheck, but to keep people safe, that I have been given the responsibility to carry through this little journey. So as we carry through many people on this life, those we lead, our families, our children, first and foremost, and then those we lead in other contexts, those we influence, give us the wisdom and the courage to hold fast to the things we know to be true and to act according to those things and not to be wavered by the thousands of arguments, the thousands of facts and the thousands of theories that will pass our eyes every day and beg us to waver from that which we know to be true. Keep us firm and fixed, hold us fast that we might be men of God. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Yeah.